Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another broadcast of Obstruction to Justice. I'm Ann Moles, and thanks for joining. Now, keep in mind that you can join in on the chat. Yep. These discussions, this is uh, Obstruction to Justice is a news uh, sort of commentary uh, broadcast where we get to talk about different topics, uh, relevant topics of the day, uh, politics, uh, current news and events, and of course, my favorite, business. Yeah, so feel free to chime in and share what's on your mind uh, as we kind of bring some information to light. Now, first thing I want to do is give a big shout out to my littlest, my, well, not the smallest, but my my youngest granddaughter. Yep. Big mama. Go big mama. Go big mama. Yeah. Anyway, my granddaughter is going to be two, two years old on the second of July. So that's coming up. I wanted to give a big shout out to her. July 2nd kind of means something. And we're going to come up, we're going to be coming up on July 4th. And that's going to be definitely a great time in our nation. A wonderful time in our nation. It's the 4th of July, the celebration of the independence of our great nation, the United States of America. Get it? United States of America. I know there's a lot going on. I do. And yeah, certainly there is a lot going on, but we're still Americans, each and every one of us. And I am very happy to be an American. I am an African-American and I'm, I know that we have a lot going on and it's some, some painstaking things that are going on right now. But, you know, I think the focus of what to do uh, is the right thing to do. And that's what's important. Let's strive to do the right thing. Let's strive to make uh, all men equal in this country since all men are created equal. Amen. Oh, yep. <laughs> I let the cat out of the bag. I am definitely a believer, a Christian. And uh, for what, what it's worth, it's like, you know, the, the most important thing about being an American, I believe, is the opportunity to have faith, to have our faith and who we in who we believe in hmm? to have faith to be able to to um, come together in unity as believers one of one of the great uh, great things about living in our nation is that we do have that right to assemble and uh, we need to remember that we have the right to assemble now how we do it is uh, you know especially with all of what's going on in the past the past year lockdowns can't go to assemble can't go to church and all that and then you can only go maybe just a few at a time I get it you know but we do have that right so hey good evening Risa Singleton glad that you joined today uh, you know, 
I'm telling you, the 4th of July, it's not one of my favorite holidays, but it is a necessary holiday. You know, I'm not one for all of the big bangs. <laughs> You know, the fireworks and all of that, the celebrations and, and all of that. I mean, they kind of get out of here, but they're pretty. I, I think the, the fireworks are pretty. Yeah. And uh, even though they're loud, I just kind of uh, hunker down and, you know, watch them on TV. I know that might not seem so exciting, but, you know, that's kind of how I celebrate. And I wanted to dive in today and I wanted to talk about... um. Uh, the 4th of July. Yep. I want to talk about that because, um, you know, I think that there are some Americans that don't feel that they are included in the celebration. But I will say that all of us, all of us as Americans should feel included. We, we should, especially African-Americans. And I say that in a very happy way because it's like, look, the perseverance and what was done for our country, what we put into our country uh, voluntarily uh, during the different wars and how we, we came together and everything as Americans uh, to, um, to, to, just to, to hang in there, but, you know, even through slavery, yeah, that, that's kind of a touchy, touchy subject right now. Uh, critical race theory, that's another one that seems to, you know, be getting under people's skin, but it seems to be thought-provoking, which I think is important because we need to keep all of these conversations on the forefront to remind us as Americans that we still have work to do. Yes, that we still have work to do. So that's why I don't mind at all. I don't mind at all uh, talking about the different things that go on in our country and how they should be handled. I, I don't have any problems with that. I don't mind the discussion of explaining what critical race theory is and, and even talking about something that I have yet to hear about. And I didn't, you know, I, I didn't really remember, uh, in, even though we studied it some in school. Notice I said some. Uh, but let's, uh, let's just kind of dive in a little bit. Now, out here, there are some wonderful resources. Uh, research back in the day, we used to have to go through the card catalog. We had to go to the library. We had to go through this, uh, these cards and to find the book, maybe even by subject, and then go to the where the book was in the library, pull the book, look under the table of contents and and all of that to see whether or not it would talk about what it is that we were wanting to talk about and then read the book and decide whether or not it was helpful or not. So research was very challenging back in the day. But uh, now you have access to the Internet. Yeah, we have access to the Now, everything on the Internet, we know there's a lot of junk out there. And I'm going to talk about some uh Washington Post <laughs> stuff that made it. And I'm like, wow, uh, this article made it. And, you know, you're taking up space. But anyway, before we get too far into it, let's talk about the 4th of July, also known as Independence Day. Now, according to history.com, which is 
you know, you kind of compare what's being said to others. So you do your research to see, you know, who's saying what and to kind of come in and reel in to see, make sure that, you know, what you're getting is, is right, uh, you know, as close as you can get. But history.com sounds pretty reputable. And um, they're out there. And it says that uh, the 4th of July, also known as Independence Day, has been a federal ho holiday in the United States since 1941. Okay, so that's when the 4th of July came about. But the tradition of Independence Day celebration goes back to the 18th century and uh, the American Revolution. So on July 2nd, 1776, big, big shout out to July 2nd birthdays. Huh? On July 2nd, 1776, the Continental Congress voted in favor of independence. And two days later, delegates from the 13 colonies adopted the Declaration of Independence, a historic document drafted by Thomas Jefferson, primarily by Thomas Jefferson. Okay, so from 1776 to the present day, 4th of July has been celebrated as the birth of American independence. Of course, we uh, have different festivities. I just talked about the uh, the fireworks and, you know, how, how about apple pie and barbecue and cookouts and all that and just getting together as families, parades. That's something else that goes on. So now this year, the 4th of July is going to be celebrated this Sunday, Sunday, July 4th. And uh, it's going to be observed on Monday, July 5th. So for those that get the day off uh, on Sundays, we get the day off on Sundays, don't have to go into work for some, some people. And then they get the actual holiday uh, office workers or whatever. They get the actual holiday off on the Monday. So just to kind of know that if you're headed towards the post office, <laughs> just know it might be closed. Okay. So now on July 4th, the Continental Congress formally adopted the Declaration of Independence. And it was, uh, of course, largely written by uh, Thomas Jefferson. And the vote, even though the vote actually took place on July 2nd, uh, so July 4th actually became the Independence Day. Now that was, everybody didn't go along with that. There were some who signed the Declaration of Independence who wanted the July 2nd and everything. So it's like, okay, we just want the July 2nd. We're going to, we're not going to celebrate it on that day. We're going to celebrate it on, we're not going to celebrate it on the 4th. We're going to celebrate it on the 2nd. So they hung in there and did that, but now we're still we're stuck with July Fourth, which any meeny to me. All right, Fourth of July. Now, um, for the uh, one of the main things that we don't hear about in history in our history books, and I don't know why. Hmm, I'm not sure why, but um, there was an article written by Yahuru Williams. And uh, Mr. Yahuro Williams is an American academic. He's an author, an activist, and a professor of history and the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of St. Thomas, Minnesota. At, and he's also a notable scholar of the civil rights movement. Okay. Now, uh, this person wrote... This academia 
uh, wrote an article on June 20th, 2020. And the article is why Thomas Jefferson's anti-slavery passage was removed from the Declaration of Independence. The founding fathers were fighting for freedom, just not for everyone. Hmm. Very provocative, provocative, uh, thought-provoking title there. And some of the excerpts in it, uh, it, it's it's out there and it's very, very intriguing. Um, now, I'm going to read some of it here and just kind of get through some of it because I think that it's, it's very relevant. But I do want to say this, and I've said it even starting out. This is my country. My ancestors fought, worked, bled, died, fought for the rights up and even to this point, And we're still fighting for rights within this country. And we have a voice. So my ancestors and and I'm just not just African-American. I have some European-American in me somewhere. <laughs> I do. OK. And then there are many of us who uh, have other ethnicities. Now, we won't talk about race and ethnicity and all that, but we do. We have other ethnicities in us. We're not all just af- from Africa. You know, even though I'm very, very, uh, I would say proud, I'm grateful that, you know, there's uh, the heritage of uh, African running through my veins. It's just a wonderful thing. And I think that many of us should, you know, be proud of who God made us to be. Yeah, we didn't have a choice. We came down here and he made us this way. And that's okay with me. If it was okay with him, then it's okay with me. All right. So, this article is out there. So anyone that wants to go out there and check it out, just uh, go out there and check it out and, you know, see what you think about it. Um, it's history. So what can you say? But it's not history that we hear about so much. And this is one of the reasons why we even get into the conversation of critical race theory and mm, the black tax and other Uh, so say controversial conversations, but really necessary because even from the foundation of this country, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, uh, we as African-Americans, we were actually here and involved in a a slavery, uh, slavery situation. Okay. So even after the Emancipation Proclamation and the Declaration, the Amendment to the Declaration of Independence, the 13th Amendment, even after all of that, we're still dealing with issues. And how does that, what does that have to do with business? Everything. Everything, especially when it comes to the African-American communities and people of color communities and European-American communities, you know, it affects all of us. So in this article, it says, with its soaring rhetoric about all men being created equal, the Declaration of Independence gave powerful voice to the values behind the American Revolution. Critics, however, saw a glaring contradiction. Many of the colonists 
who sought freedom from British tyranny themselves bought and sold human beings by underpinning Americans' nascent economy with the brutal institution of chattel slavery. They derived roughly one-fifth, deprived roughly one-fifth of the population of their own inalienable right to liberty. Now, it just means that, hey, an ascent, especially uh, it, of a process uh, or an organization, it just be coming into existence and beginning to display signs of future potential. So that the economy was coming into existence and it was, a, uh, you know, you're, you're getting there. It's, it's newly new and in, in founding, but then, you know, future potential is there as far as an economy. Uh, what isn't widely known, however, is that founding father Thomas Jefferson in an early version of the declaration drafted a 168 word passage that condemned slavery as one of the many evils foisted upon the colonies by the British crown. The passage was cut from the final wording. So that, um, that right there just made me even more curious. You know, here is Thomas Jefferson and we, we've heard, uh, the historic history of Thomas Jefferson and, um, what he, you know, even believed in, you know, I, some say he was a believer and some say that he wasn't, uh, but here he sounded like he was doing the right thing and speaking up for the wrong, uh, condemning slavery as an evil. And that's the right thing to do because we're going to see here in a few, in a few minutes here, we're going to go. And of course it shows some scripture uh, about that. So while Jefferson is credited with infusing the declaration with enlightenment, derived ideals of freedom and equality, the nation's founding document is moral. Uh, its moral mission and statement would remain forever silent on the issue of slavery. That omission would create a legacy of exclusion for people of African descent that engendered centuries of struggle over basic human and civil rights. So, you know, that's what he had mentioned. And, and it's true. You know, we see that it, with uh, the law, because based on the law of the land, um, it was not illegal to uh, have a slave, have slaves in slavery in this country. So um, it started out, the foundation of this country started out with slavery. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I don't care if it did happen a long time ago. It happened. And part of what the critical race theory is about, and what I'm studying and I can see, is that it's talking about that this did happen, but it's also showing that there are laws and that are that are there in place to continue the the discrimination of Americans. Now, we're all Americans. We were born on this land. This land is your land. This land is my land from California to the New York Island. <laughs> you know, that's what the song says. So, I mean, it, it's just what it is. Okay. Now, what the delegated passage said. Now, I was curious. I wanted to know what it said. So, here's here's for those. Uh, he, he made an ex excerpt in 
the uh, article here. It says in his initial draft, Jefferson blamed Britain's King George for his role in creating and perpetuating the transatlantic slave trade, when he, which he describes in so many words as a crime against humanity. And here's what it says. He was has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. Now, I've seen Amistad, and when that movie came out, I was, I was right there, and I had my children there, even though they were young. I wanted them to see that movie because it depicted the transatlantic slave trade. It did. It, it showed where slaves were on a ship and what happened to them, the, the murder and the destruction of those people on their way to America. All right. And it says uh, this passage refers to a 1775 proclamation by Britain's Lord Dunmore, Dunmore, which offered freedom to any enslaved person in the American colonies who volunteered to serve in the British army against the Patriots revolt. The proclamation inspired thousands of enslaved people to seek liberty behind British lines during the Revolutionary War. So even the King George, it's like, okay, well, you know, it, it, even though he was for slavery, he's like, okay, I'm going to use the slaves to fight against uh, those, uh, the Americans who are fighting for freedom. And he offered freedom for all of those who were enslaved. So we know, I'm sure many took advantage of that. Uh, but of course, many didn't uh, give me uh, liberty or give me death. But there is... Uh, there's those that did did fight for the American during the American Revolution. Okay. Why was the Declaration's anti-slavery passage removed? Now, see, that's another question. Okay, and good question. Now, the exact circumstances, his article says, the exact circumstances of the passage's removal may never be known. The historical record doesn't include details of the debates undertaken by the Second Continental Congress, which is known is that the 33-year-old Jefferson, who composed the declaration between June 11th and June 28th, 1776, sent a rough draft to members of a pre-selected committee including John Adams and Benjamin Franklin for edits ahead of its presentation to Congress. Between July 1st and July 3rd, congressional delegates debated the document, during which time they excised Jefferson's anti-slavery clause. The removal was mostly fueled by political and economic expediencies. While the 13 colonies were already deeply divided on the issue of slavery, both the South and the North had financial stakes in perpetuating it. Southern plantations, a key engine of the colonial economy, needed free labor to produce tobacco, cotton, and other cash crops for export back to Europe. Northern shipping merchants who also played a role in that economy remained dependent on the Triangle 
trade between Europe, Africa, and the Americas that included the traffic in enslaved Africans. Okay, decades later in his autobiography, Jefferson primarily blamed two southern states for the clause's removal while acknowledging the North's role as well. It says this clause reprobating the enslaving of the inhabitants of the Africa was struck out in compliance in South Carolina and Georgia, who had never attempted to restrain the importation of slaves and who, on the contrary, still wished to continue it. Our northern brethren also, I believe, felt a little tender under these censors, for though their people have very few slaves themselves, yet they had been pretty considerable carriers of them to others. Okay, so, you know, he shared in that this is what happened and why did it happen? And, um, you know, the article does read more. So if you're super interested in that, I would go out there and check it out. Now, why? Hmm? Why not? <laughs> you know, I think that that will help with the conversation of critical race theory, of the curriculum of inclusion, which, you know, that's been going on for years. And as an educator, as a trainer, uh, as one who is a historian, uh, myself, I do study, you know, I, I get into it, I enjoy it. You know, the curriculum of inclusion has has been uh, something in academia and, and why uh, within the communities, the African-American community particularly, you would want to include, and, and in all communities, you want to include the truth of really what has happened in this country. It didn't just poof, all of a sudden happen. You know, we weren't enslaved and then we were free and then, oh, here we are in 2021. Uh, there are things and issues that continue on and with people exposing what's happening, then I believe it's just, it'll be better in that we get a chance to talk about it and we get a chance to come up with solutions to the problem of separate separating us one nation and i i said one nation under god really that's the way it used to be and that was the pledge of allegiance one nation under god indivisible well you know here we go there's a conversation that people don't want to have in talking about what happened and and then coming up with a solution and how to resolve the issues and fix it because what we're seeing is that it continues on. It continues on. The discrimination and oppression continues on. So go out there and check out his article. And I believe the way that his name is spelled is Y-O-H-U-R-U -U Williams. And it was written June 29th, 2020. Very good article, very enlightening and very timely uh, because it is what it is. Okay, Declaration of Independence. Now, uh, back to conversation where we were talking about uh, what is critical race theory. Now, I gave a definition uh, of what it's about. And mm, out of uh, one resource, well, let's look and see what the Britannica, Encyclopedia Britannica, www.britannica.com has to say about it. Well, there's a part of it. The first part. Uh, of it says that the critical race theory, CRT, 
an intellectual movement and loosely organized framework of legal analysis based on the premise that race is not a natural, biological, grounded feature of physicality, distinct subgroups of human beings, but a socially constructed, culturally invented category that is used to oppress and exploit people of color. Critical race theorists hold that the law and legal institutions in the United States are inherently racist insofar as they function to create and maintain social economic and political inequalities between whites and non-whites, especially African-Americans. Now, boom, that's Encyclopedia Britannica. Now, Britannica, now in some of that definition, uh, I might not agree in that, mm, but then in some of it here, I mean, it just gets down to really the common uh, denominator of what others are explaining it to be. And that it is uh, the study of uh, the races and as far as the function and creation and maintenance of social, economic, and political inequalities. And we have, have seen that. We've seen that. And, and there have been studies. And here, one book in particular that I've been reading, and it doesn't actually talk about or mention critical race theory as we read it but it is explaining it down to the T, the theory of what's happening and not just theory. Now we deal with theory all the time in education, right? This is a theory, we read about it and someone theorizes it and then, okay, what do we do? We put it to the test. We see if there's any evidence to it. Uh, so it becomes, um, it becomes something that, that's real about it, right? When you can prove it. And there is documentation that has been proven and people are writing about this. And that's what the study is all about. Okay, so now I wanna go out here and I have been reading this book, uh, The Black Tax by Sean Rochester. Now, this, uh, this gentleman has really, really, really uh, done some uh, really good work and study uh, about uh, the theories that were theories, but he get he chooses, you know, he's actually made um, some discoveries. And this book, and I've been reading it, it's not an easy read. And I tell you why. It's easy to read, but it's not an easy read. Because what starts happening is you start getting frustrated. You start getting, wow, oh, why is that still happening? And I didn't know that. And, you know, you start feeling, well, my feelings have been very, um, not mixed, but they've been, I've, I've had to kind of work through some things. How do you deal with uh, proof of, of issues when it comes to discrimination and racism? How do you, how do you deal with that? Uh, and I think that as I go along in the, in the book and what he's getting ready to explain, I'm going to go over to uh, this YouTube cut and, um, what he's getting ready to explain in his YouTube presentation, uh, he does give some solutions. And I think what's frustrating is if you have a problem, but you don't have a solution, 
that's frustrating. <laughs> you know, what is business about? But someone having a problem and then someone providing a solution to the problem. That's what they sell, right? So well, it doesn't matter whatever problem it is, someone will sell you the solution, right? So I think that um, because I, I kind of come from that vein of understanding that there needs to be a solution to this problem, and I know it's tough when people are, are arguing and being frustrated and saying, hey, is it really necessary? And why are you teaching this in school? And, and blah, 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 why, you know, why are we having to listen to it again and over and over? Well, it's because it's real, you know, and there needs to be a solution to this problem. Let's go ahead and I'm going to check him out and I'm going to share this screen. Oh, we got a little time, just a little. I'm going to share this screen and uh, it is, you know, let's check it out. It is The Black Tax, The Cost of Being Black in America with Sean Rochester. Now, he gave this, this talk. He gave this talk at the Hofstra University. And it looks to be, uh, it was posted here October 26, 2018. So, it's been a few years ago, but very timely because, you know, we're busy. Are we getting around to it? <laughs> Are we getting around to it or what? Hmm? All right, let's go ahead and play this. I'm going to play this. Thank you for that uh, wonderful introduction. Um, thank you guys for being here uh, this evening. I think it says a lot about um, you as individuals and as a group. Um, very excited uh, to spend this evening with you. Um, so my name is, is Sean Rochester, um, and I've written this book called The Black Tax, The Cost of Being Black in America. And in the book, I talk about the financial cost of discrimination against black people. Now, normally when we talk about discrimination, we talk about it from the perspective of the injustice or the immorality associated with it. I wanted to look at things a little differently. I wanted to look at what is the financial cost associated with it? And more importantly, what does research say that those costs are? So the book's broken into three parts. The first part talks about what I call the present black tax, the financial impact of discrimination in markets that are critical to wealth accumulation uh, in general and African-Americans in particular. So we're talking about real estate. We're talking about automotive, the financing and insurance that go along with that. We're talking about online commerce and uh, the job search, high-end careers, capital raising for businesses, etc. The second part of the book, I talk about the historical cost of discrimination, uh, where I do a look back from the time of slavery up until the present. And in the third portion of the book, I kind of summarize where we are economically and then propose a framework uh, that can help to address these issues. This framework is called PhD, and PhD stands for Purchase, Hire, and Deposit in Ways that Create Jobs and Create Businesses and Expand Businesses in the Black Community. Why is this of particular importance? 
um, because one, we're missing about 6 million jobs across the broader Black community in America. We're missing about 1.4 million businesses with employees. So while there are about 2.6 million Black businesses in the country, only about 4% of those businesses, about 109,000, actually have employees. And that 4% drives almost 70% of all revenues that is driven by Black enterprise and employ almost a million people. So those businesses are super critical. And we only have about 109,000 of them. And we're missing about 1.4 million. And then collectively, our collective balance sheets, uh, we're missing about or over $8 trillion of net worth. Um, these, are, these are massive problems, right? Um, and as the case with massive problems, it's really important that we get like a lot of people at the table to work on. But what we will often notice is that it's very difficult to work with folks who A, don't see the problem, or B, think you're the problem. If you would only fix you, then we would be great, right? And I'm sure we've heard these platitudes, you know. Okay. Well, I know that we've heard that argument time and time again. Uh, it's something wrong with you as a community. And you, if you would pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and everything, hmm. Well, uh, get the book. Go check it out and see what you think. Uh, I think that he has proven some uh, great numbers. And there's other books out there we're going to check out and uh, share with you later on. But that right there is so critical in that we're talking about uh, black businesses and only 4% are actually have employees. <sighs> that's very discouraging. And, and that's kind of why I have to, I have to kind of keep moving in this. I know that it can be discouraging trying to celebrate the 4th of July, but when we understand what the 4th of July really is all about, look, it might be the declaration of independence, but they, uh, the country would not be where it is today with inventions and with the African-American community, the Hispanic community, brown and black people in this country, we are, we are the soul. <laughs> We're the soul. And without us, it just would not be in America. That's why we should celebrate. This is much, as much of our country as anyone here. Of course, we want to embrace the uh, Native American uh, for their them being here first. We want to embrace them. And there's lots of history out there that really tells the truth about what happened to the Native American. So we're talking about black and brown people, people of color. And of course, uh, as an African-American, this gentleman writes in particular about the black tax. So grab that book and see what you think. Okay, uh, there is also, where am I going with this? All right, so we have that. Now there's some sloppy, there's some sloppy articles out there. 
sloppy articles out there about critical race theory. And I was so, so disappointed that uh, this opinion columnist out there at the on the WashingtonPost.com, you know, there's so much that you can talk about. And I understand giving the perspective of the European American because this person is European American. So they're going to talk about how sick of it they are and and how other European Americans are sick of it. And But what I don't get in the article is that they're not being clear about really explaining what critical race theory is. And they're just jumbling just all different kinds of thoughts and issues into the article. It has no flow. It has no real point other than uh, the title being, uh, everybody's talking about critical race theory, but for how long? Now, I thought that to be thought provoking because usually that's kind of how it goes when it comes to hard discussions in our communities and societies in our country. You know, that's how it goes. You know, it just kind of gone with the wind. You know, the the media will pick this up to be thought provoking and then everyone gets on the bandwagon and gets upset about it and has an opinion about it. Then it goes away. Well, then nothing gets done and then someone else is murdered and shot down. Here's police brutality and then there's uh, police uh, getting killed as well. You know, people are are killing each other and it continues on. And then, you know, why? Right. There's division. There's division. So getting down to the reason why and how to fix it might not happen in a in a few months or in a few years or even in a lifetime because it took so long for what's happening now to continue on. I mean, it had to be written in laws. Do your research. You'll see written in laws. And we've talked about redlining and other discriminatory practices in the brown and black communities and everything. So we've done that. Now, I just think that it's a waste of is, you know, the article was just a waste of opinion. You you just, I don't even, it was a waste of a read. So I say, you know, look, I see what people are out there doing. You're just scrambling things up to make it seem like it doesn't matter. Uh, a thought-provoking title, and then the rest is just a bunch of junk. But one thing that was mentioned in in this is that what seems to be happening is that everybody's throwing their laundry their dirty laundry in this bucket mm. and uh, the bucket of, okay, well, we're talking about, we're going to talk about um, the uh, LBGTQ. We're going to throw them in the same bucket as discrimination. And we're going to talk about how the kids are being miseducated and what they're putting in the schools as far as new curriculum, which it's shocking. There's a lot of shocking information that's going in to the schools for education and learning and parents and grandparents. We really do need to go out there and see what's going on, what's being taught and then speak out against a lot of what's going on. And I understand you're, but you're throwing it all into one laundry basket and it's just not that way. Critical race theory should have its own bucket so that it can be true 
to what it's discussing and not to the point to where it becomes so convoluted and, and mixed up to where people get confused and then they just want to just put the book down or just throw the idea away and get frustrated or listen to the one who's screaming and hollering the loudest. Mm. So yeah, just, just a sloppy article, a waste of time because it just caused too much division. Okay, so out here, out here, we talked about that sloppy article and um, we l talked about uh, Sean Rochester's uh, The Black Tax. I talked about the, the uh, Constitution of the United States. Now, I do want to, I want to see here. I have something else. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll look at those scriptures here in a second. Uh, but I do want to share one other thing. Now there's a 13th amendment that abolished slavery. The 13th amendment abolished slavery and people need to know about that. You know, slavery and when it was abolished, let me go out here. I'm going to share this. Uh, we'll share this, uh, well, let's see. Let's look at this one. Yeah. Okay. So ab abolition of slavery passed by Congress January 31st, 1865, ratified December 6th, 1865. The 13th Amendment changed a portion of Article 4, Section 2. And it says, I want, want you to hear this, Section 1. It says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Then section two says, Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. I want to go back, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. Now that just right there, it's going to take us, take us into a discussion of uh, eventually here in the next few weeks, I might go ahead and whip it out, but uh, un, uh, uh, incarcerations, hmm? how the prison system is, is, uh, is biased and, and how there it's, you know, even racist in the convictions and the incarceration rate. So what, <laughs> you know, it's legal. To uh, if they're convicted, they can be slaves and how much they they pay people. See, that's free labor in the prison system, pretty much. Huh? And those prison systems are privately owned and they get paid for contract. Those prisoners get uh, have to work and those prison systems get paid. Uh, they go out and bid on contracts just like the rest of us in business. Okay, so that's something for a room for discussion. So prison system, is it the uh, not really the new slavery because we've been having this issue for a long time. Huh? It's not right. Okay, so that's going to be a conversation a little later on.
Okay, we're we're about done here. I got I have one more thing, and uh, so we are done on that. Yeah, go out there and study the Thirteenth Amendment to U.S. Constitution, the abolition of slavery, abolishing uh, of that uh, institution. Go ahead and check that out. I'm going to let's go ahead and check out our scriptures because really that right there when we get into the word and I'm going to say this and it's just true. You know, he is the answer. He has the answer. He's written the answer. Now, I think the main issue is that uh, many just don't want want to um, recognize and acknowledge the answer. So uh, this is in the Amplified Version. But, you know, I always say, read which version you have. And if you need clarity, go ahead and do the study, right, in other versions so that you can get a better understanding other than the King James Version. But it in the Genesis 1 and 27, it's right here. So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So men and women as human beings, we're created in the image and likeness of God. So as a human being, that's who we are. We're create, we're his creation and not someone else's property. So what does that do for me? That tells me, of course, that reinforces when I, I hear this hate and racism and segregation and oppression and, and things of that nature. When I hear those terms, then I still hold on to who my creator says that I am. I'm made in his image and likeness. And if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. And it should be good enough for anyone else. Romans 2 and 11. For God shows no partiality, no arbitrary favoritism. With him, one person is not more important than another. And we've read this before. It's one of my favorite. Yeah, he's no respecter of persons. So uh, any, I don't care what constitution anywhere says that I'm one fifth of a human being, which, you know, they counted that uh, as property so that, well, we know we'll study that here in a minute in a, a few more weeks, but so that the South wouldn't get more of a, a property and ownership and have more delegates. And that's why it's important to vote so that you have your voice in in your area so that there will be finances and monies coming to your area. That's why they do the redistricting. Watch out for that. What are you redistricting? Huh? Is it to the advantage of the communities that you serve, right? Look into that. Uh, Leviticus, here's, here's a, a wonderful one. Leviticus 19, 33 through 34. Now, this is God talking to the children of Israel, giving them specific instructions about how to treat uh, hu uh, human beings uh, from other countries, from other places. He says, verse 33, when a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress or mistreat them. But the stranger who resides with you shall be to you like someone native born among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Let's just drop, drop the mic. <laughs> 
God just makes you just drop the mic, huh? His word just clears all that up. He takes all that that hate and those issues that they want to legalize or whatever. He just slaps them all in the face. He just knocks them out. He does the rope-a-dope on all those lies, just like Muhammad Ali used to. Yeah, that's what's up. So all of these laws, I don't care what law you say. Look, I live by one law and that's the word of God. And I go by what he says. Yeah. And I thank God for the people that take the painstaking time, takes the time to go and do research. So I don't care anything about a desk jockey Someone just wrote or couch potato that wants to just run their mouth. They haven't done anybody's research, <laughs> you know, even, even, oh, we could just, we could just go on. I don't care nothing about what you say. Get in that word. And if what you say is saying anything different than what God says in his word, then we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> wow. Do your research. Have a wonderfully happy, happy 4th of July. Celebrate your country. This is your country. I don't, I don't, look, whatever y'all need to write in, huh? just know that there was a man. God had a man who wanted to do right. Yeah, he did the best he could with what, what, what he was dealing with. And he told the truth in his autobiography. Yeah, do the research. Check it out. Don't be down on yourself. Yeah, we know that business is important. Do your best. Hang out. Hang out and go spend some money with some black businesses so that they can hire some people. <laughs> not, not take up donations. Oh, what is green lining? Don't get me wrong. You know, folks do whatever they can to get by. But really, green lining, you're going to take up donations. You're going to do fundraising so that you can give the money to black businesses so that they can go and hire people. Not good. That's not how business works. You might as well open up a nonprofit <laughs> and ask for donations. That, that sounds more like it to me. Yeah, black businesses and business works by your, your vote, by taking your dollars while we still have them. Well, it's still a dollar. Oh, my goodness. And voting by taking that money and taking it into an establishment or going online and purchasing from an African-American business. That's supporting black business. Women-owned businesses. I don't know what the statistics are for that, but check it out. Small business is important, whether you're European-American or not. Yeah, those businesses are important because that's what makes our economy. Our economy is predominantly small business. So we want to do the best we can to support all business. Americans, one nation. Under who? Under God. Indivisible. That's the way we need to be. And it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful talking about what we need to talk about. It's painful listening to it. It's painful reading it. It's so frustrating, but I got to get myself together to know that I have to hear the truth. Yeah. So that I can do better to know that it's okay. And to be happy that somebody's saying something. 
Yeah, the more we talk about it, the more we'll be about it. Huh? All right. Well, good, good, good talk. Uh, be blessed. Be blessed and have a great, great weekend. Great holiday weekend. And uh, if the Lord says the same, I'll see you next time. Justice. 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 Justice.